America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Yeah, we can't you to get up. Clicking sounds, sounds that reveal the presence of radioactive rays. The instrument, a Geiger counter, is converting radioactivity into sounds we can hear. Welcome to Tank Riot, brought to you, of course, as always, from tropical Madison, Wisconsin, at the heart of Scani Nation. I am Sputnik. With me, as always, is Victor. Hello. Tor is MIA tonight, but we'll be back, <laughs> we're hoping, sometime in the near future. You don't know what happened to him, but no. there was this election, and then he disappeared. <laughs> there was an issue. <laughs> he might be a cabinet member when we hear from him next. I'm not sure, but he's gone. Tor. <laughs> uh, well... Tonight, we are going to uh, do our douchery gallery and add, I think, probably one of the seminal douchebags of the 20th century, and that, of course, is Henry Kissinger. Yes, a great douchebag of history. He could have an, his own wing in the douche hall of fame. <laughs> oh, really. yes, definitely. definitely. Yeah. And this was a listener suggestion as well. Yes. So thank you very much for this suggestion. Uh, it's a very, very large, large topic. It is. It is. <laughs> like the man himself and his amazing legacy of douchery. <laughs> but first, we but have first. some things that we can discuss. Uh, B-movies, the election, uh, why Sarah Palin just won't go away. Yeah, she's still in the media for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, she keeps <laughs> saying, oh, I wanted to talk to the reporters, don't you know? And she had, she had reporters up there in her kitchen. Uh, and made the moose chili and moose burgers. Yes, I, I saw all that. Oh, I, God. Yeah, I didn't want to watch that. And you know what? I'm from the Scani Nation here where we podcast this. It's called a snowmobile. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a snow machine. I don't know. A snow machine. That doesn't that make, make no it sense. sound that much better to me. <laughs> anyway, yes. We, we have don't... snowmobiles in Minnesota and in Wisconsin. It's a telephone. It's not a talking machine. <laughs> it's a talking machine. My voice goes across the wire. But it was a good election, and I was very, I was satisfied with the results. Yes, and, you I was know, pleased as well. I'm still curious about my original home state uh, and Al Franken. I want to see what happens with that election. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm interested in that. And uh, Tank Riot is pulling for the Franklin camp. Franken I am, I am, and I'm surprised <laughs> that I think Michelle Bachman won, who's one of those really crazy Minnesotan yeah. uh, representatives that I, I can't believe could win after some of the things. She says out loud in public with a microphone. Minnesota kind of <laughs> threw me a curve because they're usually a pretty solid blue state. They usually, if you're from Minnesota, you can try to let us know what happened in <laughs> that state. What the hell? You can email us at <laughs> feedback at tankriot.com. We'd love to know the answer to that one. Bring back Jesse. <laughs> Please. Please. We need the body. But um, yeah, I would thank our listener, uh, Brian, who hooked us up with a copy of probably the best Fantastic Four film. Oh, which was the original Roger Corman Fantastic Four. That was film. to die for. That was a brilliant, brilliant adaptation. Uh, I would say, in many <laughs> ways, truer to the comic and. It was just as cheesy as the comic. Oh, I think I would say better than the movie. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, that was a great film. The Fantastic Four movie. The, the serious the, movie. Yeah, well, yes. yeah. This is a like a PBR afternoon version of the Fantastic <laughs> Four film. It's almost like it was sweeted. 
It yeah. was almost like a sweeted version of the Fantastic Four <laughs> film. So I really enjoyed it. And it was good. Yeah, it was an awesome, awesome. So many thanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we watched the 1980 classic uh, without warning. Without warning. Now, the thing that that amazes me about this movie is is that okay, yeah, it's it's a B movie. But it is very, it's a real shelf gem. It is really engrossing. It's got Jack Palance. Jack Palance? <laughs> or Palance. As the Gomers would say. Palance. Dance, Jack Palance. <laughs> and, uh, of course, um, Martin Landau. Right. And uh, an incredibly young uh, David Caruso. Yes, Martin Landau of Space 1999, as it says on the <laughs> DVD box. I love how that's the credit they give him. You know, Martin Lando, well, Space 1999. That was very big. I mean, yes. 1980, that still would have been a pretty recent memory. Yeah, he was in one of my favorite uh, Twilight Zone episodes as well. Uh, oh, the Russian one? Yeah, the one where he's someone's trying to lock him in a room, and if he moves right. the wrong thing, he's going to die. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a great episode. That is a very good one. <laughs> yeah, and it also has, the very beginning had, what, Cameron Mitchell as this uh hunter guy who goes hunting with his oh, son. It's kind yeah. of the introduction. It's basically an alien comes from space with evil flying frisbee monster Actually, <laughs> we deduced that uh, Predator was totally ripped off from this movie. Well, and that's what's interesting is the monster, the person who plays the alien is uh, Peter Hall, and he also went on to play in the suit in Predator. That's so cool. he's the guy oh. in Predator, and he's also Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. He's got to be a big dude. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> this was a hilarious movie. Um, the the other what was the other mention? The David Caruso's in this film, right? A so, very young David Caruso. Yes, you've got your four innocent, not so innocent teenagers oh. going to the abandoned beach, a la you know that <laughs> all those kills, all those kills. stories. Yes, <laughs> you know I have to say about David Caruso is that. Um, Thankfully, he, he he dies fairly early on in the movie. <laughs> he has really stunk up the screen for a number of years. <laughs> well, this was the original stank. Exactly. And, um, you know, of course, he left, uh, what was it, uh, NYPD Blue, because he wanted, you know, mm-hmm. Hollywood was calling. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, you know, no one answered. And TV called again. Yeah, TV called again. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you ever, Victor, if you ever watch The Soup. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. They always do that little... David Caruso. The David Caruso thing. So, you know, one thing I can say about the soup is, is that I I watch the parodies that they do long enough. I'll actually become interested in some of the shows. So, (laughs) so I, I watched a CSI Miami partly because, um, Lucy Lawless seeing a warrior princess was on. Okay. I I hate myself as a human being, but there (laughs) it is. And, um, all he honest to God did was just what they said in the soup, where he just takes his sunglasses on and off and then just says these one-liners very ominously. And that was it. I mean, it was just ridiculous. The thing I love about those shows, though, is the overblown color. Like, everything oh, is just yeah. incredibly, like, they just blew the color saturation yeah. out the it's window. It's like Technicolor. Yeah, like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> One of the very first colorized films or something? <laughs> Those colors don't exist in the spectrum, and I'm having a seizure. I know, I know. Yeah, that's funny stuff. So, it, yeah. It was a great movie, and the plot was actually engaging. I, I'd seen this as a child, and then to see it again was just oh. a, a giant treat for me. It was very good. Yeah, so if you get a chance to seek that one out, it's a great film. No one plays a psycho like Martin Landau. <laughs> Martin Landau. I was a little scared of him. <laughs> he was. He was very creepy. Yes, and Jack Palance was awesome as the hunter. <laughs> of course, you might remember uh, fans of Buffy the Vampire Killer or Slayer might remember um, 
uh, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain's daughter, who played, um, oh God, she was the the psycho psychic vampire. Oh, I can't think. Oh, I, this is horrible. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Sputnik. <laughs> Bring something up and then totally space out what the name. <laughs> Someone's typing right oh, now. Drusilla. Okay. Drusilla. Yeah, she played Drusilla the vampire, which was it's it's very bizarre. Okay. So, cool. anyways, just weird side trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I also got to see two other B movies. I I'll, I can mention them briefly. Um, oh. Hell Ride, which is a total <laughs> B movie that was produced by Quentin Tarantino. Oh God! It's TNA for twelve year olds and Ooh. motorcycle. It's like take Sons of Anarchy and mix in a little Playboy and the seriousness of Tarantino. It's just I'm all over that. Yeah, this is really twelve year old stuff here. I, I really can't even recommend. I mean, the acting. <laughs> Michael Madsen was great in it. Because he's Michael Madsen, you right? Know. Right. But but the other acting, if you could call it that, was just almost distracting, but it made it entertaining for me. Sure, you, you know? got a cool name like Mr. White. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Mr. Pink? But yeah, this is about a uh, motorcycle gang fighting with another motorcycle oh. gang, and it's pretty funny stuff. Um, and then the other one I'd mention is um, Maniac Cop, because on the previews for Without Warning, there was a preview for Maniac yeah. Cop, <laughs> a 1988 film uh, starring Bruce Campbell. Ooh. And everybody's internet hero. I hope. I hope people do like Ash. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a kind of a throwaway film, and in <laughs> in many ways, but it had a definite signature of the 1980s all over it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And there are sequels out there, and Bruce is actually in another one, Maniac <laughs> Cop Two. <laughs> and I think they're making another one. I think Maniac Cop Three is already made, and they're making a fourth one now. But it's, oh, no. it's apparently a whole series. It's like I missed out on a whole series and. Uh, I think Bruce Campbell's only in the first two, and it was it was interesting enough, um, and it was great to see a very uh, he did this one between a couple of the Evil Dead films, so this was basically uh, well, maybe you know character. this is the off season for Burn Notice, so maybe you know he would be participating in Maniac Cop Four. I don't know. I know <laughs> that he's also uh, going to be coming through Madison on I think December third to the Sundance Theater with his uh, <sighs> with his film. Uh, my name is Bruce, which is about Bruce Campbell being Bruce Campbell in a town where everyone recognizes him as Bruce Campbell when some horrible event happens and he has to save the townspeople. Oh, God. Yeah, this is a yeah very interesting idea, and I will definitely be giving a report on that film as, as I get a chance to see it. I would love to see that one, too. So, yeah, that's I've had a B-movie month, I guess. I'm kind of pumped about Quantum of Solace, too. Yeah, so we'll have to, we'll have to check that one out. You know, well. Transporter 3 is out. <laughs> And it's like this poor guy. I mean, he's really he's he, he can do whatever he wants, but he's you're gonna see him in that little tiny black suit, and he's oh, it's Transporter Twenty Seven. Yeah. Well, yeah, wait till the next. What was that other one? Crank that he did. Isn't there already a sequel to Crank out? I he's good so. at he's good at that job. <laughs> that's right. And yeah. If you haven't seen the original Transporter, that's fun. That is the original. It is a lot of fun. Piece of candy that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. A fun fun flick. Well, all right. So now we have to tackle the topic of Dr. Henry Kissinger. We are going to be talking about Dr. Kissinger like this the entire evening. <laughs> I saw I actually saw uh Dr. Kissinger speak once and um this this kid stood up and he had this question which you knew he had been practicing in the mirror for What, what like year was this? Uh, this would have been... I guess everything after, like, 1980 doesn't matter, right? Right. <laughs> this would have been, like, 79. Okay, wow. And um, so this kid stands up, and and he had clearly been practicing this for a very long time, and he had this very, you know, good question, and, 
you know, it involved, you know, real politique and Soviet hegemony and all this kind of stuff. And and he started the question with, you know, briefly, Dr. Kissinger, can you tell me? And then, <laughs> you know, Henry pulls out the funny. Briefly, I can say nothing. <laughs> it's like, oh, good one, Henry. You are the bomb. You're not too hip for the room at all. <laughs> Jesus. Anyways, you know, to call to, to call Henry Kissinger a douchebag is almost is really understating it. I mean, this guy, uh, as I say, could be a whole wing in the douchebag Hall of Fame. Yeah, so we can touch on a few things and su- suggest further reading, I think. Yes, yes. And give some directions of where you could go to find out more. <laughs> Let the listeners decide. Now, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, oh, geez, Tank Ride's taking on Henry Kissinger. You know, buy a calendar. <laughs> well, no. The point is, is that this douchery is continuing well into our own era. Well, he was a campaign staff worker for John McCain's campaign. Yeah. And had John McCain won the election, he definitely would have a place in that White House. Oh. And if he didn't already. That gives me chills. I well, mean, it did, just, it does. He had some involvement with George W. Bush as well. Yes. So. He had an office right down the hall from Cheney. Right. Yeah, and his man size safe. <laughs> yes. I want to buy that if he's going to sell that. I know. I wonder if that's staying. <laughs> that's the big consumer product, by the way, Victor. I don't know if you knew this. Seriously, it's safe. Safes. I mean, I guess people are, you know, putting their gold bullion porn and guns and all your men in safe <laughs> in your men's size safe. <laughs> I, I'm gonna get one. It's totally on my Christmas <laughs> wish list. <laughs> there is no Christmas. Christmas is canceled. Oh, oh, you know, there's so there's nothing. Nobody's spending any money, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, and that's you know what, and and Tank Ride fully supports that. Spend nothing. Go see your family. Go see your friends. Have a few cocktails. Leave it at that. But do not. Worry about how much you can possibly spend so that you make the big fourth quarter retail sales. I mean, that's really. I yeah. mean, <laughs> what do I do on that black day when I'm supposed to go shopping? Oh, have you realized that, you know, actually, what I'm going to do Christmas Day is the opening of the Tom Cruise movie Valkyrie. Oh, is that? Oh, that's Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Uh, I'm all yeah, over that it. That might be worth it. I'm getting liquored yeah, up and yeah. going to see Tom. No, Cruise. but the day after, the day after Thanksgiving or whatever, when everyone's is it Black Friday, where everyone's supposed to go yes. and shop, shop, shop to yeah. get that fourth quarter started off, right. right? Yeah, I don't know what I'll do. Well, I mean, they started it long. Not be- like I ever shop. Well, I know. Well, I mean, even long before Halloween, they had this going. Mm-hmm. But now they're panicking. So this is going to be a full court Christmas press. Yeah, yeah. there's no doubt about it. You know, if you love America and you love Santa, clap everyone or Tink is going to die. <laughs> I do believe in fairies. Yeah. I do. But uh, doc, Dr. Kissinger, Dr. Kissinger. Um, he's been in the public eye for a long time. Yes, he has. And he's what we call the power behind, behind the throne, a shadowy figure. Right. Sometimes it's even hard to figure out if he was actually working or not. Um, he's yeah. working as his own operative sometimes between different campaigns. and Right. Um, yeah, he's he's a very interesting character. And when I talk to people who don't know much about politics, they they know the name Doctor Kissinger. Yes, you know, oh oh, Doctor Kissinger. Well, he's he's a known he's a doctor, quantity. so he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> and he's eighty five right now, something like yeah. that. Yeah, he was born in nineteen twenty three, and he's still he's still out there promoting himself, and he's still out there promoting his agendas. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I just think it's a valuable piece of information to kind of know what his agendas really are, because he. Right refuses to ever talk about that really i mean he's very veiled yes. in his points of views other than to tell you he knows more than you that's right his he he, he keeps his cards very close to the <laughs> vest tight. i mean to, to the point where they're almost behind him and that's getting really hard nowadays because of a lot of freedom of yeah. information act filings and a lot of statute of limitations running out and a lot of these records being released yes. um it, 
bulk. <laughs> You're getting a lot of information. Although a lot of Kissinger stuff is Redacted. held under. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of black space. So another thing that we can we can thank the Bush administration for is grandfather uh, actually retroactively reclassifying things as. Top secret. Yep. So thank you so much. So he was born in 1923 in Germany. Um, he's Jewish, of Jewish parents. Mm -hmm. That would have made him 10 when Hitler took over. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, his childhood was spent in the very liberal, very democratic Weimar Republic. And, of course, that uh, changed very horribly in 1933. Um, his parents could see what was going on. They emigrated to the United States. In, in 1938. His original name was Heinz. Uh, Heinz Kissinger, and they, they thought that sounded too German. So, you think? Yeah, they, so they changed it to Henry. I just remember a, a lot of old polka bands and stuff did that too. Like the Flying Dutchman would change their names because it sounded right. German. And yeah, <laughs> Flying these, Dutchman. Yeah, there are all these interesting things. Everyone, you can't sound German. <laughs> That's right. That's very right. So they moved uh, to New York in 38, and uh, he was uh, definitely an academic overachiever. I think that can be said of his high school and college years. He received um, his degrees at Harvard and uh, really, I, I think, kind of stayed in academia. He stayed at Harvard. At Harvard, mm -hmm. you know, through through the 40s and, and uh, some of the 50s, uh, you know, working with uh, foreign policy. I, what I also thought was very interesting was that uh, he also served as a consultant to the director of the Psychological Strategy Board. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is real good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing where... Isn't that what sent Ted Kaczynski over the... Oh, boy. He, wor he worked with... Um, yes, I believe it was. It was at Harvard he worked with the, th these boys, and they were definitely Psy War Ops. Nah. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he lost and his mind, but we found out more information. Yeah, and that's where he got his PhD, and that's why he is Dr. Kissinger. Dr. Insistent. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he stayed on at uh, Harvard as a, a member of the faculty and, you know, worked with uh, international affairs, foreign policy, stayed with those um Boards. It was a consultant to the National Security Council Operations Coordinating Board. Mm -hmm. Now you have to remember at this time too. Um, in the late '40s and early '50s, uh, the Cold War was really taking the shape that it would have for you know the, the ensuing decades, and especially the American intelligence community. So of course the CIA grew out of um, the OSS uh, from World War II. And the CIA was more or less meant to be kind of, well, the problem was is that these intelligence agencies sort of, they grew like mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So everybody had their own intelligence agency. So, you know, the Navy had its own intelligence, the Air Force had its own intelligence, and, and blah, blah, blah. So they had all these organizing committees, these oversight committees. And, and that's where a lot of these international affairs, foreign policy people. So, I mean, so Henry Kissinger was, was involved with top-level secure issues and international for affairs and foreign policy very early on. Yeah, and he was a bright guy. I mean, oh, yeah. you got to give him that. He knew how to kind of examine all angles so that he could have the right answer. And, right. Uh, yeah, he, he was a very, very deliberate speaker, and uh, yes. these experiences really helped him. Uh, when he moved forward and, and started looking for higher positions of power. Well, that was one of the things ab about um, Henry is that he never lost that very thick 
German accent. Um, and, and, you know, to this day, he retains it. I mean, I, you know, some people kind of do and some don't. And he yeah, definitely yeah, never he, did. So. He definitely has it. I also thought it was interesting, uh, you know, the fact that he's German-born means that he can never truly run for uh, pr- the presidency. Yeah. And there was some very serious discussion a few years ago about amending the Constitution to allow uh, for Henry Kissinger to run for political. Well, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. The president. <laughs> he almost looks like crazy liberal now compared to some of the neocons we've been living with for the last. This is this is true. But uh, well, he became a big supporter of Rockefeller. Yes. And this is where he really started to move up the food chain. Well, and then, and this is interesting because at some point you can really see where Henry, it's very hard to define where his politics turned, I think, more toward the conservative. Uh, you know, because, the, as I say, in his childhood, the Weimar Republic was a, was a very liberal, very open society in, in Germany. And um, Rockefeller was known as a progressive Republican. Now, this is very difficult, I think, for people today to kind of grasp is that the American political spectrum has jumped so far to the right that even a person who is considered, you know, a liberal is is actually pretty far to the right by that scale back then. Right. Well, Nixon would have been called a socialist running for president today. Yes. I mean, it it is truly shifted a great deal. Well, Nelson Rockefeller was especially would, I think, be considered almost a wild eyed liberal today. Right, right. Well, so, he, he was governor of New York. He made several bids for the presidency unsuccessfully. Right. Um, before uh, Kissinger managed to make the connection with Nixon. Right. Um, and, and Nixon's 1968 run. Nelson Rockefeller was also Gerald Ford's vice president um, after Nixon stepped down and uh, resigned. He was ousted because of his liberal policies by none other than uh, Dick Cheney. Nice. So... Yeah, the douchery began early on. <laughs> Sometimes douchebags feed on each other. It was a tight circle. Right. <laughs> that looks like a douchebag, talks like a douchebag, hangs around with Bastards. other douchebags. Um, Henry was always a proponent of what is is, is called a, a form of uh, politics or diplomacy known as real politique. Um, which is essentially just means real or practical politics. Right. Although it is is come to be known as something much more pretty amoral, very Machiavellian. In other words, uh, like you would look at a lot of our foreign policy under Kissinger, or I, I guess you could say even the 60s and the 70s in general, in that you would call a particular country an ally, even though they had the person who, who was in charge was a horrible strongman dictator, uh, tortured people, uh, very repressive, but by God, they weren't communist, mm-hmm. you know? And of course, when Carter got into office in 76, he completely reversed that and said, no, I don't care if you're an ally or not. If you know, if you're guilty of human rights abuses, you're, you're going to be dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, sanctions and what, and, and whatever we can throw at you until you turn that around. But, Real politique was, I think, definitely what you can say Henry Kissinger has followed as his um, political doctrine throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll definitely give you many examples yeah. of where this can be shown. Well, let's say the beginning, like in 1968, uh, the election was going on and there, there, was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of peace talks. We'd been in Vietnam already. Um, and there was a lot of negotiations going on at the time to right. kind of defuse what was going to become the Vietnam War, really was a Vietnam conflict. Right. 
And he was right in the middle of all of that, trying to sabotage the Democrats by assuring that the peace talks wouldn't be successful. Because at the time, he was working for the Lyndon Johnson administration in trying to get their peace talks going with uh, North Vietnam. and uh, Also working with Nixon to yes. make sure that Nixon was informed and in order to make sure that the election would go Nixon's way, Nixon's way, these peace talks could not be successful. So he's telling the North Vietnamese, hey, um, let the Republicans get in power. Well, they'll cut you a much better deal. Right. Well, and it's like, how could you possibly believe that from a guy like Dick Nixon, who was, you know, persecuting Horatio Elger in the pumpkin patch way back in the 50s. But Well, yeah, and you think about Nixon and he, oh. you know, how he disappeared into the wilderness. You know, he won't, and then didn't he come? You won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. You won't have Dick Nixon to kick around. <laughs> he was the comeback kid, though. I will he say that was. for Nixon. He was. And all of a sudden, he changed his mind and... Oh, yeah. yeah. Even after Watergate. Well, what had happened was, is that, of course, you know, there was a disastrous 1960 campaign with jfk yeah and you know i mean well, JFK. You, know, you know that that was the first televised debate oh and and jf you know he, he jfk won that election very it was a very tight margin yes and they think that just the fact that nixon when he went on stage decided not to shave that alone might have made him look creepy enough to cause him the margin and lose the election <laughs> he actually had the flu <laughs> he he didn't want to wear makeup because he thought it was effeminate and Jack Kennedy went out there, and, of course, he had been doing all these whistle stops. So he was completely tanned, put on tons of makeup because he thought, oh, what the hell? You know, this is a new medium and everything. So if you see the tape, Yo. Nixon is like his lip is just glistening. <laughs> He's sweating so bad. He's got the famous 5 o'clock shadow. Looks just rat-eyed. Looks terrible. And then you then the, the camera goes over to Kennedy, and it looks like the fifty cent piece for Christ's sake. Right, right. You know he's just beautiful. <laughs> but although people say that if you heard it on the radio, Nixon was much better informed and yes. a better speaker. Yeah, that's interesting. But if you saw it, you go like, God, Ooh. who is this guy? <laughs> I don't want this creep sitting next to me at a movie theater. <laughs> oh yeah, and then so then he goes back to California to run for governor, gets totally blown out of the water. Mm -hmm. And then, then he's just like, well, you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anywhere. So he is in the political wilderness, but he just starts building back. Yeah. Until 68, he's running against Hubert Humphrey, Hubert Horatio Humphrey, HHH, <laughs> and um, who would have been um, Johnson's successor since Johnson chose not to, to run. I will not accept <laughs> my party's nomination. And um, Kissinger essentially was... Uh, telling confidential information and working with the North Vietnamese to go with Nixon's uh, peace efforts. So, of course, that all fell through. That under um, undermined uh, Humphrey's uh, campaign. Nixon's elected in 68. And, of course, uh, in by 74, when they, uh, you know, Henry's like, peace is at hand. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's working out the peace talk, the Paris peace talks. It's essentially exactly the same deal that they could have gotten four years earlier and several thousand lives. Right. You know, not shattered or lost. But but during this whole time, he was working as the United States uh, eighth national security advisor. Yes. So he was the national security advisor from 1969 to 1975. Yes. And there are rules that no individual American um, can can run negotiations with another foreign country. Henry did. Henry did whatever <laughs> he wanted. He did it right out of the trunk of his car if necessary. Yes, there were a lot of espionage terms 
thrown okay. about uh, back channeling and if you read any of these documents you hear about you know back channeling communications and oh yeah very interesting stuff he was the master of that mm -hmm. but to be sure that he was and um you know because the, the whole uh platform of nixon and kissinger was peace with honor yes peace with honor you know so it's not like we're just gonna hightail it out of there so um, when did Cambodia get dragged into this peace with honor deal? Well, Cambodia was a very, very horrible deal because I, I don't know uh, how much our listeners may uh, know or remember of, of this particular conflict, but Vietnam was one of those wars. With, the whole the whole thing was is that uh, it was the domino theory. Right. If one country goes communist, then the next one will go, and the next one will go, and the next one will go. Instead, what happened was is that the very bloody uh, fighting in Vietnam spread from country to country to country. So in order to, um, as well, you know, get the North Vietnamese to the peace, ta uh, peace table and also um, go after the Viet Cong and so forth that, that were going into Cambodia. So there were channels of supply running through Cambodia, basically. The Ho Chi Minh Trail. The Ho Chi Minh Trail Cambodia. running through Cambodia. Yeah. And it, it was known to exist. It was known to be there. And... We weren't allowed without a congressional act to attack Cambodia. Right, exactly. And um, I, I think what was the most interesting about this is that uh, there are these communications between Nixon and Kissinger where they essentially just discuss on the phone, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, you know... Now, yeah, that was when Nixon was on the phone with Kissinger. Yeah. And Kissinger's in the room with Haig. Right. And, yeah, and Nixon says, here's what we're going to do. We'll... What? Uh, anything that flies on anything that moves. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, my God, what a genocidal policy. And, and then you can, I guess, Haig is laughing in the background. Yeah, he said, oh, did he now? <laughs> oh, did he really say that? <laughs> and this is totally un, unsanctioned. And, yeah. But Kissinger direct order is, from is the president. literally just relating this ravings on. I'd always read this story. I mean, like, you know, Nixon was quite a drinker. And uh, kind of, you know, an insomniac. And he'd be, like, wandering around the White House, you know, kind of mumbling to himself and, you know, drinking his scotch. Bowling. And bo bowling. Yeah, the, <laughs> the the bowling alley in the White House. I would give anything to go there. The one-lane bowling alley. The one-lane yeah. bowling alley. Yeah, it's kind of pathetic, really. Mm. But um, That he had watched the movie Patton, like, ten times before he decided to do the Christmas bombing raids into uh, Cambodia. Wow. And what they did was they used B-52s, which were planes that were meant to be intercontinental strategic bombers and just hold this immense amount of, of bombs. Right. That they would, they would fly at an incredibly high altitude, drop these bombs with really little or, little or no accuracy whatsoever. Oh, yeah, you couldn't have accuracy from those distances. I mean... You know, now you could, but then they just tumble down. Oh yeah, they they were and and they would drop, you know, thousands and thousands of these uh, tons of of these general purpose blockbuster bombs. Right, but we didn't just bomb Cambodia; we had permission. Right, because Kissinger got permission. <laughs> got permission from the prince, basically. Prince Sihanouk, you know, that's perfectly okay. Yeah, just don't hurt anybody. <laughs> and then, of course, we had the secret war in Laos and so forth, and and. There were people high up in the military and uh, in the State Department who said, oh, my God, you look at the pictures of the devastation. And I mean, you're, you're literally just slaughtering hundreds of thousands of people, not to mention the fact that you, you probably time put that times 10. And that's the refugees you've got. Mm -hmm. You've now created. And um, 
these these were called arc light raids. And I, I've talked to Vietnam vets who said that an arc light raid is is something that even from a distance you want no part of. Yeah. You know that the ground and the air just shakes. You know when when these things would go off. Mm. So they just they essentially carpet bombed all these countries to try to uh, bring them into submission. So I mean th- there were there were hundreds of thousands, of countless lives that were just mm. lost due due to these very brutal policies. Which again is part of realpolitik. Again, to just to make the point that like we're supposed to be a liberal democracy. Uh, our foreign policy should descend from those from those uh, items. Instead, Realpolitik says what's ever practical for the moment right. is the way you go. And so that was how Henry thought he could bring about peace with honor mm-hmm. was by you know literally just carpet bombing the jungle until. And it's it's interesting is that um, uh, General Yap of North Vietnam said now that the war is over and everything. I guess essentially the question was, uh, well, how close were you to surrender at any point? He said, those carpet bombing raids, we were very, very, very close to just throwing in the whole towel. And you have to remember that they had been at this for like 50 years. Yeah. You know, they would, they'd fight it. They, they, they'd started before the Japanese and had gone through the Fran- the Japanese, the French, none of the Americans. But that almost brought them to their knees because this was just so incredibly devastating. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, of course, the carpet bombing, you know, really destroyed the, the uh, infrastructure of Cambodia, undermined uh, the governments of of uh, Prince Sihanouk, and uh, really brought Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge uh, into power. And of course, the the wonderful killing fields of the the mid to late seventies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and I mean, it all stems from that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. One policy belief, and you know, the whole time. So, nineteen seventy-two elections are rolling around, and Nixon is doing surprisingly well. He's really well informed for some reason, right? And you know, <laughs> McGovern right. makes some huge mistakes and chooses Eagleton as the vice president at the last minute, and they get a landslide beating by the Nixon administration, right? And you end up with, um, you know, Kissinger. Then, uh, it was it was in seventy-three, like September seventy-three. I guess it's after. Um, that he becomes the Secretary of State, right? But uh, so Nixon wins this election and mm-hmm. goes on to continue their their policies, uh, this real politique uh, throughout the whole the whole area, the whole region. Now he's got a blank check to do really whatever he wants at this point. Yes, the seventy two landslide election, which was beautifully covered by Hunter S. Thompson and Fear yes. Loathing on the campaign trail seventy two. Yes, yeah. so. Please refer to and, that, listeners. And Eagleton, another great case for electroshock oh, therapy. God, so. I felt so sorry for that poor I, guy. I did too. I did too. I mean, because he he was um, it, at that period of time, severe depression was tr- treated with electroconvulsive therapy. CR Rocky Erickson episode. Exactly. Well, that, that was more punishment. <laughs> that was more punishment for the pot smoking. <laughs> Tex- yeah, in Texas, in Texas, it was not a <laughs> rehabilitation. That's right. Oh yeah. It, we were trying to help him. <laughs> snicker, snicker, chortle, giggle. So all this is going on. They've got other pots boiling throughout oh. the 1970s. So September 11th, I, I, I suppose most Americans would always remember in for 2001. However, in South America, <laughs> in 1973, September 11th was also the overthrow of the democratically elected uh, president of, of uh, Chile, 
uh, Salvador Allende, who uh, really had the poor taste to be a Marxist <laughs> during a very conservative period of time. Would, well, yeah, that was 73, right? 73. Right. September 11, 73. Yeah, he won in 1970, and he was Kissinger was around during that time, too, because there were, there were clandestine uh, plans to make sure that these Marxists didn't win. Right. So they were trying to prevent his win by uh, creating a uh, military dictatorship uh, by a coup. So they were trying to right. encourage a coup in Chile uh, by having one of his uh, supporters kidnapped. Right. And so they, they chose Rene Schneider and... Uh, Several attempts to kidnap this this guy, uh, this mm -hmm. general, and uh, on the third attempt, um, he resisted. I mean, right. I don't know what he was thinking, but yeah, he was <laughs> shot and killed. Right. He died three days later in a hospital, which actually turned out to work against Kissinger's plan. And they supplied guns. They supplied money. Everything. They supplied grenades. Uh, and everybody knew about it. Like, everybody knew about it. Yeah. It was like one of the worst kept secrets. Oh, it was horrible. This was apparently part of Operation Condor. Operation where, Condor, right. Where they were, they were just coordinating. Like, where we fucked up one nation rebuilding in Iraq, Henry had... Like five or six going on at any given time. He did. He did. And Operation Condor focused on many nations. Oh, yes. The, the biggest example, I think, is Chile. Chile, yeah. And uh, Well, I mean, I think that was probably the worst outcome. Because... Right. Well, in the last second, um, Kissinger said, uh, abort. Let's, let's, right. not, let's not get these guys to follow through with this because it probably won't work. Mm -hmm. and, and the guys, uh, I forgot his name, Vo, mm -hmm. felt like he should follow through. Right. So he went ahead with the kidnapping. And... <clears throat> there was there was little mention of what they were going to do with him once they kidnapped him, really. So right. it doesn't look like the idea was kidnapping more than just it looked like it was an assassination, basically. But so they followed through the next day, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and that assassination really led to everyone solidifying behind Salvador Allende. And so that that gave him three years of power. And that's during, right. During that whole time, there were countless uh, more plots to try to get him out of power. Oh, my God. Yeah. By the Kissinger, Kissinger groups. Well, the, the guy really I mean, he was one of those Marxists who was really carrying through with like land reform, nationalization. Of course, it was a big IT&T uh, corporation. Uh, subsidiary, of course, you know, Andacon of Copper. They had a lot yeah. of U.S. interests there. So, of course, in uh, September 11th, was Pepsi involved in that? I think, yes, Pepsi was involved. <laughs> you know, you don't usually honestly think of Pepsi <laughs> as know, like sort of this evil corporate overlord, but apparently. <laughs> corporation's got to do what a corporation's got to do. Now, Coke, I could see Coke like <laughs> nation building, but I don't know about Pepsi. But, um,. Yes, yeah, so in 1973, they actually got their will. And, and Augusto Pinochet came to power. And that worked out fine. Oh, yeah, just ducky. <laughs> Augusto Pinochet was one of the worst of the banana uh, republic dictators because he, his idea of crowd control was that if you were in an open public rally against him, he would have people throw gas on them and ignite them. So they're these horribly scarred people that are still alive today who just simply had the, you know, say the bad taste to say, oh, uh, I, I don't want to really want to live in a dictatorship. Well, OK, here's your face full of gas. You yeah. Know? And he stayed in power till 1990. Yes. <clears throat> yes. And, and in fact, if it was not for the activism of a Spanish judge who had him extradited from England, that really opened up the whole uh, precedent for saying, you know, you guys really aren't quite that untouchable. 
Yeah. You know, and I know, and I know maybe that's what our listeners are thinking. It's like, well, is this like uh, prosecuting 90 year old, you know, ex Nazis? You know, Kissinger's in his 80s, Pinochet was in his 80s, and so forth. It's like, yes, the point must be made that in America, one of the countries that was one of the focal points of the Nuremberg trials, and which led to a lot of the uh, jurisprudence of the international court that we have today at the Hague and so forth, but which the Bush administration wants no part of for the very reason is we have completely and utterly fallen off that path. Mm -hmm. So now we are in fact guilty of war crimes and have been guilty of war crimes in many respects. And um, that's, I think, where we have to get back there. And, and yes, if we have to sacrifice Henry Kissinger <laughs> to do that, I believe... Uh, Tank Wright firmly believes. I think that we should do that. <laughs> That'd be okay. You know, there were there are times, and he has been engaged, uh, where people have tried to make citizens arrests and things like that. Yes. And, and there are there are motions where he won't go back to certain countries and things like that. France, <clears throat> Spain, because there was a lot of French civilians that mm -hmm. got kind of you know executed during the whole Chile uprising and so forth. And I also I also see a lot of uh, Free East Timor uh, bumper stickers. <laughs> yes. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot going on with that, but you could trace that back to Henry Kissinger as well. Yes, Henry Kissinger and uh, his support of uh, President Suharto. Uh, and see, Indonesia is one of those countries that was, it was a former Portuguese colony. And um, decolonization could sometimes be very abrupt and very brutal. Suardo was one of those that was educated by the Portuguese and, and really an incredibly ruthless and bloody dictator. What Indonesia has is a lot of oil. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, of course, you know, it was a U.S. interest from very early on. Suarto, of course, met the realpolitik uh, qualifications of being, yeah, you're kind of a back alley toe cutter, but you're not a communist. So he kept communism suppressed in Indonesia. And um, for that, and of course, oil flowing, the U.S., especially under Kissinger, said, um, oh, you want to annex this East Timor? Why go right ahead? And the way that happened is, you know, Nixon started getting embroiled in the Watergate scandals in 1973. Right. Um, it started to look, oh, this is not going well. So um, right. at the time, um, you had Kissinger out of the country working on his peace talks. Right. So uh, Kissinger avoided that he, that whole bomb, basically. Right. And uh, a lot of people started resigning, and everyone started looking at the data and saying, well, you know, they've got enough votes. They're going to impeach you. You're going to be removed from office. So Nixon was then forced to basically resign. Right. And uh, it was around that same time that these peace talks were shaping up and, and being set up in such a way that it looked like peace was achieved. Right. So Henry Kissinger and the leader of the Vietnamese right. group uh, were meeting in Paris because he refused to meet in Vietnam and, right. and they needed to settle this peace accord in Paris. And so this wins, the both of them, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Right. Which, which is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's laughable. And there's there's been several efforts to try to have that revoked from Henry Kissinger. <laughs> I read a quote. Well, and the other guy uh, wouldn't accept it because he claimed that Kissinger tricked him into yeah. signing the peace accord, basically. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, this, so this guy actually had the moral fiber to <laughs> say... Know. I don't know if I really deserve this, and this is probably not a good thing. And Kissinger claimed he wasn't available to go pick it up because it would look bad or whatever, so they, right. they had to accept it for him. And I think it was, I read somewhere that uh, some satirist, uh, I think it was Tom Lehrer, said 
that that was the uh, the death of political satire when Kissinger right. won the Nobel Prize for Peace. <laughs> no kidding. And the peace uh, did not last at all. No. It was not stable in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah. So wow. then Ford takes over. Right. And you have Ford then working with Kissinger, and they're over there meeting with um, the Indonesian uh, representatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically, that is a lot of redacted information about what that meeting was all about. Right. And it's come come to light. Kissinger has always denied that they gave the green light to do anything about East Timor. And mm-hmm. and uh, basically that conversation might have been and, and has come out that, that was, except for a little chunk of it that still I don't think is out, that um, it was basically saying, oh, yes, yes, go ahead and do whatever you want, but let us get out of your airspace first. Right. So they had to get on their plane and get out of the airspace before East Timor was invaded. That's right. And they estimate that in the first like year and a half, like a sixth of the population was murdered. Yeah, or either by starvation or, oh. or just outright execution. Yeah, absolute, execution. absolute brutality. Mm-hmm. So this was this was, and, and the weapons I believe came from American uh, companies. So they're American oh, yeah. weapons that oh, were supplied. To yeah, the, Suardo was using yeah. all made in USA. Yeah. You know, as was Pinochet and so forth. In in South America, it seems like the soccer stadiums are the favorite uh, place of execution. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where apparently Pinochet did a lot of his mm. executions as well. But the, I think that we, we could back up just a second, though, and mention China. Yes. Um, the opening of China uh, was, again, I think probably... Um, Prob- it was it was seen, I think, as a feather in both Nixon and Kissinger's cap. Um, you know, Nixon certainly as the fierce anti-communist, and Kissinger, I think, opening up a country that was you know a superpower, but very very isolated, very very removed and disconnected from the world community. Um, many saw as as more or less a smokescreen. Uh, to, to take attention away from the problems of Watergate and 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 all of that, but uh, China was definitely a big win. Although to look at the to look at it today, maybe not so much. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, the, Nixon did open up China. <laughs> An old Vulcan saying, "Only Nixon could go to China." And then, then they got the Olympics. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and those tiny little gymnasts. <laughs> So um, Kissinger is definitely the type of person you, you, you could say he's very, very ruthless, um, very much uh, sees the world as a giant risk board. Mm-hmm. You know, he definitely plays risk in, <laughs> in, uh, in the big leagues. And he was he did serve as the national security advisor until 75 and then as the uh, secretary of state until 1977. Mm hmm. So he was actually, you know, in the thick of it right up till 1977. Of course, uh, by 89, uh, Kissinger founded a consulting firm, Kissinger Associates. Right. Well, that's got to be a swing in office. Well, the the interesting thing about Kissinger Associates is that he makes anyone that they work with, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a corporation helper so that you can uh, help connect the right people so that your product right. can make advances in right. you know whatever you're selling uh, <laughs> you know in whatever country it is you're trying to market to so he he tries to connect the dots in a way and he makes everyone sign a non-disclosure agreement so that no one can say that 
who they work with or who he works with. So everything's very secretive, yes. which leads to a lot of discussion about, oh, you know, conspiracy theory. Right. And, and oh, well, that. yeah, I mean, conspiracy theory follows Kissinger. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you, it cannot. Wasn't he a member of the 40? He was a member of the 40 the committee. 40 committee. Yes, good one. Um, <laughs> the 40 committee was one of those oversight groups mm-hmm. of all these various intelligence groups. And and that was Kissinger was supposedly right at the center of the 40 committee. So, I mean, you can just imagine the, the mountain of information, of, of secure information that he was privy to on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... But these these companies that he would work with would have to sign these non-disclosure agreements, and this got him into a little bit of trouble when he was chosen by George W. Bush to lead the um, anti-terrorist uh, group, the 9-11 Commission. Oh, the 9-11 Commission, yeah. And uh, and then he was was confronted with this, well, then you have to disclose your your associates. And he said, nope, I'm stepping down. Yeah. <laughs> I do not no, need no. to be in this position. I do not think so. Uh <laughs> Well, from '95 to 2001, he was on the he was on the board of directors for Freeport uh, McMorrin, mm-hmm. and multinational copper and gold producer with mining and milling operations in Papua, Indonesia. Oh no, that doesn't sound like human slavery at all. Oh, and the pollution, and there were lawsuits oh. about the pollution God. from these sites that were just basically just <laughs> ripping everything apart. It just sounded really bad. He is just <laughs> the skin of evil. <laughs> I mean, he's it's like wherever he goes, evil follows. It, it's interesting to to go back to kind of his golden age in the seventies, and I recall this at the time. He was considered to be kind of a sex symbol. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he, he was. was uh, you know, guy on he the was go. he was going out with like Jill St. John, Marlo Thomas, which is kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Phil Donahue's wife. You imagine? Oh, not so much. <laughs> Shirley MacLaine and Candace Bergen. Well, I mean, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, okay. Candace Bergen. I mean, yeah, whatever. Murphy Brown. I guess was... politics and sex don't mix oh! or whatever. Well, he was he was quoted as saying, "Power is the ultimate aphrodisiac." Which I mean, him even saying the word aphrodisiac kind of makes me cringe a little feel bit. Feel creepy. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> feel good about that. But he, you know, Kissinger actually has a lot of quotes that are are pretty famous, like "the illegal we do immediately, the unconstitutional takes a little longer." Yes. Oh. You know, which would be funny if you or I said it, but right. you know. Because you'd know it'd be ironic, but with him, it's like he's not kidding. He's very serious about that. <laughs> it's like his motto. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, there's a, a historian right here in uh, Tropical Madison who did a book on Henry Kissinger, and uh, the author asked him, as late as June 18th, 2007, what are your core moral principles? The principles you would not violate. Kissinger's response, I am not prepared to share that yet. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, if not now, when? <laughs> you know what's great is as these documents are being unearthed and as things are coming to light, he's releasing books in, in an effort to keep up with it, in, in an effort to frame the discussion. Frame and, the discussion. That is a good way of putting right. it. Right. He, uh, he doesn't say much in these books, really, but um, he does frame the discussion, and then he has the actual, you know, what's going to be released in the book so you can get it from him. Um, and I think it was in the 2001 Crisis book was coming out. Yeah. Don't quote me on this, but he was on the Daily Show around then. I think around 2003, I think the book came out a lot before that. But And he was talking about, you know, what what these books are about. And you could sure. tell that he was just being very 
very caged about what his responses yeah. and yeah. and just saying that he was trying to get the truth out there. And the fact is, no, you're trying to beat the presses because right. all these other journalists are going to get their hands on this first. And well, like you say, you, he was framing the discussion. Yeah. Like, no, he doesn't want to deal with the truth. He doesn't want to say what's going no. on because anything that really to even open up a discussion on this is is going to make him have to face some very unpleasant things. I don't think he has ever once in any of his books even acknowledged that he has said anything about East Timor. No. Like that that never it's no. he's like he he figures well that one I can get away with not even mentioning. You I know? think I think it really surprised him that people that it that people became cared. such a popular cause and that people even knew where it was or or why they would care and mm-hmm. I I think that just threw him Right and still does. He, right. he just he refuses to talk about East Timor in any in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Another one of his quotes that I love is, "Even a paranoid has some real enemies," which again, it's it's kind of funny. But when you think of him saying it, you know he's not kidding. Mm-hmm. So, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Or and this is one that pissed off a lot of people in response to uh, the takeover of Chile by uh, Pinochet. I don't see why we need to stand by and watch a country go communist because of the irresponsibility of its own people. The issues are much too important for the Chilean voters to be left to decide for themselves. <laughs> and again, you know, he's not saying this he's with a smirk. Very or, serious. Yeah, he's yeah. not kidding you. I bet he feels the same way about Americans. Oh, my God. Um, uh, this this actually is a fairly recent one. The New World Order cannot happen without U.S. participation as we are the most significant single component. Yes, there will be a new world order, and it will force the United States to change its perceptions. Change its perceptions, which is to say we will finally accept the mantle of empire. Right. I right. guess, really, is, is what he's trying to say there. But So uh, we will provide uh, many links to uh, DVDs and articles that you can read for yourself and make up your own mind on on Dr. Kissinger's legacy and impact on history. Mm-hmm. As I say, I mean, he was supporting John McCain in his in his uh, um, failed campaign. He had an office just down the hall from Dick Cheney and was uh, a very significant advisor on the debacle in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd think one quagmire per life would be enough, but apparently not for Dr. Kissinger. So, Well, you know, there's also things like the Indo-Pakistan War, yes. the Yom Kippur War, the Turkish invasion of Cyprus. There's a lot of things that he had a hand in, and, um, the, and you can really see how, in reading some of these materials, how these things came about and what shaped their decisions to lead uh, American foreign policy to yes. assist certain governments and uh, just ignore other governments completely and and shape the world in, in that time frame. And, and really, it was the 1968 to 1977 time frame that, that he was really on the books. And you can get right. kind of a backstage look at what was going on. What's going on now with the uh, Kissinger Associates? Uh, it's more kind of in the dark uh, corporate uh, lobby to you know ensure that these corporations are well taken care of, and it's it's very yeah. interesting to watch some of that happen. So you won't see him on the political stage, I don't think, again, no. because the Obama presidency is going to last till he's almost ninety, yeah. and you know he probably won't be back. But uh, he's but- still he's still out there, and he's still actively conducting interviews and giving lectures. He's on the circuit. Um, he's he's often heckled, and and some of those transcripts are pretty interesting to read. Yes, they are uh, from you know East Timorese reporters and things like that uh, talking about uh, about his 
involvements. I, I did also just recently read the book, The Trials of Henry Kissinger yes. um, by Christopher Hitchens, who mm-hmm. is a great antagonistic uh oh yeah polemicist also, the author of uh, god is not great <laughs> right and and he some of these hit pieces are, are pretty fantastic um but the henry kissinger book was was a good informative read there's a movie called the trial of henry kissinger which is more um a little more mainstream and hitchens shows up a little bit and right and it's not really about him it's more about a little biography kind of uh, of what his impact was of, and, yeah yeah and i think what episode? I know is Seymour it? Hirsch has written some of these things. Oh, Seymour Hirsch, yeah. yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll throw links up to all these uh, on the on the website. Uh, this is episode sixty two. Sixty two, yes. But a couple brief announcements. Um, we did have several. We we had very few people got this one right. The 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 question that we asked oh. um, of our listeners about the the name of the film that the, the McKenzie brothers were making in uh, Strange Brew. Mm-hmm. And of that handful of people, we randomly chose two winners. And uh, winner number one is Brian, and winner number two is Yan. And you've both been informed by email. Although, Yan, I'm not sure if that picture of you is Anya Rubik or Yan Rubak. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. But thanks for the picture. Much appreciated. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for playing. The name of the film was The Mutants of 2051 AD. <laughs> So probably the original Sweeted film. <laughs> it is buried in the Wikipedia ent- entry for that, but it's very, very hard to find elsewhere. We had, we had several people who were close on that one. But uh, we'll, we'll be sending some schwag. Scotty schwag. Scotty schwag your way. <laughs> so well, keep it a secret. You will sign a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> that will tell you that you cannot share the information with anybody. Briefly. <laughs> you know... Um, yes, and if you have any feelings about uh, Henry Kissinger or uh, perhaps some suggestions for your own uh, douchebag gallery, please let us know at feedback at tankriot.com. We've got some wonderful packages in the mail, and if you'd like to mail us anything, you can mail stuff to Tank Riot at Tank Riot, P.O. Box 2744, Madison, Wisconsin, 53701-2744. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we've done enough uh, douchery revelation for this evening. Only we had a good song and dance number to send things off on a good note. Good evening. Henry Henry Kissinger, how I'm missing you and wishing you were here. Henry Kissinger, how I'm missing you. You're so chubby and so mean. With your funny clothes and your squishy nose, you're like a German pair. So people say that you don't care But you've got nice
Dr. Kissinger. Hello. Hello, Mr. President. Hi, Henry. How are you? Okay. Fine. I didn't have really have anything. I just wanted to call you to tell you I was thinking of... Oh, sure. Well, that's fine, Henry. Now you get on with your business and I'll, I'll work. Don't you worry. Don't you Well, I have no, no question about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Got some awful tough calls to make. Well, it's uh, make a painful one, but I, I know it's going to come out for the best. <laughs> well, you know how it is. Uh, there's uh, still some rough water ahead, and we're just going to have... Well, Mr. President, no one can undo the achievement. None of these packs of jackals. Well, look, and, and in the None end... the achievements that are... And in the end, now, that's not uh, in the end. Uh, remember, uh, within a year, people are not going to be thinking of this. They're going to be thinking of what we've been doing, Henry. So don't you Within three that. months, Mr. President, no one will be able to... Frankly, people are getting goddamn sick of it now, you know. It's, I mean... I think, in fact, it's... You know, I've noticed, I've noticed people just... I just have a feeling that uh, even now, you know, you, you pick up the paper and it's Watergate, Watergate. Dean charges this and somebody charges that. And who'd, who, who who broke into the psychiatrist office? Wasn't that the silliest goddamn thing? Well, I think it's, it's the, the Post and the commentators are keeping it going. Oh, sure. But I think as soon as you've spoken or done something, yeah. whenever that will be... Now, I've got something to tell you in the greatest of confidence that uh, I've decided on. And uh, I'm going to have to work it out today. Uh, I've got to get a new attorney general, of course. Right. Naturally, uh, not because Coindeast is involved, but because Mitchell is, and he's so close to him, and he also is close to other things. And the man who, who is totally qualified and is impeccably uh, would be trusted by the so-called damned establishment is Elliot Richardson. I've got to move him out of defense. And I'm trying to get Dave Packard to come back as, 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 as Secretary of Defense. Now, that's just for your information. Right. But I'm working on it. That's my decision. That's what I'm going to do. Right. But uh, Elliot, you see, has, uh, I don't know whether you know his background, but his... Oh, yes, he was first, attorney general of... First, first in his class at Harvard Law, attorney general, lieutenant governor, one of the, one of the most... And, and uh, I'm going to give him a free hand. I'm going to tell him to clean every son of a bitch. So I'm going to clean the hand. I'm going to put in a new FBI director, too. You know, I've got Ruck over there for a while, Ruckel's house, but that's only temporary. Yeah. I'm going to get the most mean son of a bitch I can find, put him in the FBI, and then let all hell break loose. Now, there's one area, of course, where where you and I have to be concerned about and where we've got to stand firm as hell. As you know, Henry, we did do we did do some surveillance with the FBI on these on these leaks, you remember. Oh yes. And I uh, and, and they were approved, approved by the Attorney General and so forth. When they come out, we just gotta say, of course, but you remember the whole business people have forgotten in sixty nine.
Don't you agree? Well, if it's a question of national security approved by the Attorney General, I don't see what anyone can say about Correct. it. Correct. Correct. The problem we've got with some of this and the Ellsberg stuff, you see, Edgar Hoover wouldn't do the job because his marks, his closest friend's daughters, Mary Darrell Ellsberg, wouldn't do it. And that's why some of that crap was done in the White House. But that's too bad. That's just one of those things. But the uh, but I just want you to know when that comes out, don't 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 uh, don't back off. You know what I mean? Anything that's national security, we're going to fight like hell for. Right. Absolutely. No, I uh, I have, I will certainly not back off. Yeah. You won't have to. Okay, Henry. Thanks for your call. Right, Mr. Right. President. Right.